Hi, I'm Andy Murray. Welcome to It's a Customer's World podcast. Now more than ever, retailers and brands are accelerating their quest to be more customer-centric. But to be truly customer-centric, it requires both a shift in mindset and ways of working, not just in marketing, but in all parts of the organization. In this podcast series, I'll be talking with practitioners, thought leaders, and scholars to hear their thoughts on what it takes to be a leader in today's customer-centric world. Hello, everyone. In this episode, we'll be focusing on some of the strategic challenges CPGs face as they adapt to the transformation retail media networks are having on their business. To delve into that subject, I was delighted to have Ms. Kelly Downey join me on the podcast. Kelly is a strategic consultant at Oxford SM. She has 30 years of CPG experience delivering strong outcomes in senior level roles, including field and headquarter sales, trade planning, shopper marketing, digital and agile transformation. She's worked in leadership positions driving change at well-known CPGs such as Kraft, Unilever, and Phillips. I met Kelly at a Path to Purchase Institute leadership share group session, and it was clear to me her industry perspective would help shed some light on how companies are navigating change. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Hello, Kelly, and welcome to the podcast. I'd like to start with you telling us a bit about your journey and what has led you up to the point that you're doing now. Sure. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, so a bit of a long journey in the industry. Um, started as a sales rep um, at General Foods, carrying the bag, as we like to say, um, and worked at General Foods, which became Kraft Foods for about 21 years um, through a whole host of um, sales positions, uh, trade marketing, so running the trade budgets, but also to include um, running our corporate calendar and our consumer promotion department um, for Kraft Foods North America. Um, so that was uh, really exciting and was looking to stay a little closer to home than traveling to Chicago um, as often as I did. So moved over to Unilever um, and uh, spent about eight years there first running shopper marketing. We called it building brands with customers um, before we changed the name to shopper marketing. Um, and then I ran um, the trade budget for Unilever um, US and ultimately went back into a field selling position running what we called strategic growth channels. So everything, um, sorry to say this, Andy, with the exception of Walmart, that was Jim Breach, yeah. who you may know, yeah. um, and, um, and grocery. So I had sort of all the all others and really there cut my teeth on e-commerce because a little customer named Amazon um, fell into my lap. Um, so really good learning grounds, like, you know, that is 12 or more years ago. Um, and then um, moved over to Philips um, North America to run um, digital and marketing operations there and finished my kind of full-time um, career back at Unilever running um, a digital transformation project. And now um, I consult for Oxford SM um, and that's been really exciting over the past three years, um, getting to sort of um, use my, not only use my experience, but learn about a whole other bunch of categories, industries um, and approaches, both from the sales and marketing side of things. Wow. Well, of course, I would. I love your shopper marketing background, being a fellow journeyer in that space, and uh, also 
I'm really excited to talk more about uh, how you see things because of your commercial background. Uh, you know, there are a number of podcasts out there right now covering retail media networks, and rightly so, given the fast evolution and big shifts in spending. But most are coming at it through a media lens or just simply covering the latest new offerings, which, to be honest, can be kind of hard to keep up with. Uh, so today I wanted to, especially with your background, look at it through the lens of a more senior leadership level uh, inside of CPG specifically, and then also through the lens of what a shopper marketer might be seeing uh, in a commercial, more of a commercial lens, which I don't think we hear enough about uh, what's happening in that space uh, it, from an impact standpoint. Uh, I know you facilitate a number of senior level share groups for brands as part of Oxford and the things that you're doing, um, but without getting any specific company, you know, what are some of the themes that you're consistently seeing pop up around this area of retail media networks? Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, it is the talk of the town. I mean, we spend an awful lot of our time talking about things like um, how do we measure? Of course, there's no consistency there. Um, where do the budgets sit for this? Mm. Where do skill sets sit and who sort of strategically plans and executes it? Um, do we need to reorganize because of, of this? I mean, and, it, and it's fascinating to me in, in, in many ways, and you and I have been in many yeah. of these roles, I understand why those topics come up. But on the flip side, I, I started like getting concerned, like guys, it's a tactic. Hmm. It isn't in and of itself, A, a strategy, um, B, really a department, <laughs> so, you know? And yeah. so I think, you know, it's kind of like in, in a smaller sense when e-commerce emerged and, you know, rightfully so that was, that was very different. And, you know, organizations began to structure around that. And, and there were nuances to it and ways to look at it very differently. But what happens is you you begin to sort of segregate pieces of your strategy, your plan, your dollars, your people, and you start to really lose a bigger picture, mm. I think at times, and probably become pretty inefficient because you're not looking at spend resources in a holistic way to drive your ultimate business goals. Um, it tends to be a little bit more ad hoc if you're not careful or sort of, you know, and the thing becomes um, the work. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And do you think that's because you know, it's such, uh, it, it's so much more complexity involved. You've got to have some mastery involved there. So it's almost like, let's just set it over here as a new thing. Um, and then all of a sudden it, you know, can grow like what happened with e-commerce, right? Where you lose the yeah. bigger picture of omni-channel when you start yes. segmenting it. But I mean, is that kind of where you see it as that people are probably looking at it through the lens of this is a specialized competency for us to go anywhere. We've got to get there versus saying we understand it completely and it really should sit strategically over here. Right. No, I think I think it's very true when you talked early in the chat here about, you know, how do senior leaders think about this? And and, you know, some of the watchouts and in fairness to all of us who've been in those roles, when new things come along, you, you sort of like, oh, yeah, let's dabble in that a little bit. Who knows it? You know, let's empower them to some degree. Maybe they test and learn some things. And that's all well and good. And I think what's happened in this case is, number one, there is a lot of specialization. Which, so when you think about 
retailer search, display ads, you know, all, all the different elements that kind of are popping up. This is not something you heard my background. I've been doing this a really long time. Yep. I, I started before stores had scanners, you know, in, yeah, in some it. ways. So, you know, when, when Nielsen data came up, I'd be like, I'm a salesperson. What the hell do I need to know about Nielsen data? Like mm -hmm. who cares who buys it as long as we get it into the warehouse. That's right. Exactly. You know, and so, and that be, I remember being really offended that marketers were getting their heads wrapped around this Nielsen data and telling me things about my customers. Mm. You know, yeah. so guess what? I had to start to learn enough. I didn't have to manipulate the data myself, but I had to learn enough so that I really was a part of the conversation and not on the outside looking in. The same holds true for this, for retail media networks. And, and I think what happens is you bring in specialized talent, which you do need to have. They either come from agencies or they come from the retailers or, you know, some of them obviously have third parties that they work with and they come with a skill set so important they don't come with a full picture of what you're trying to do as a manufacturer a brand a category and so you can if you're not careful you end up just sort of buying tactics that have really have nothing to do with what your end game is so i think a senior leader i was you know talk about this kind of reverse mentoring you owe the people who, who execute these things you don't have experience with, really clear brief about what your mission is, what you're trying to do, what KPIs you're gonna measure, which by the way, happen to have things like sales, volume, profit, share, you know, um, not just click-through rates or whatever. Um, and on the flip side, you as sort of a specialist need to explain or, or help senior leaders understand what these tactics can and can't do. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. And it does feel to me like we are at a, an inflection point. Uh, very recently, I suppose I would say with um, the CPG world suppliers, because I do think probably the last couple of years, it's been just be able to execute the tactics. You've got, you know, the COVID hit and you had, you know, massive shifts in online and just execute, you know, was where we where I think the industry was. But but now the developmental nature is starting to pull back a bit and the bigger strategic questions are starting to come into play like I didn't see being asked a year ago. Um, are you seeing that as kind of now this more of an, uh, I don't want to call it an epiphany, but an awareness that, wait a minute, you know, we've got to work out quite a bit of what this means because you're talking massive shifts in money, accountability, and, and these are all really bubbling pretty recently. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a hundred percent, you know, there's this gap that was you know formed with the pandemic and everything that went on with covid but additionally and you're right people are just like get it done whatever it takes blah 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 blah. and now what's happening is to your point so much money is going into this space um i don't think there's a client i haven't talked to that isn't struggling to sort of hit their goals make their pnl work for them with all the inflationary issues the the slowdown in consumption in certain categories. And so suddenly, you know, it's like anything. When things get tough, the scrutiny just, the screws just get turned and all of a sudden everything's up for debate and discussion. And I think when you you sort of pull back the curtain, people, people are sort of like, well, wait a second, who's making these decisions? Oh, right. I mean, wait, like, and, and who's overlooking, like how this overlaps with other spec, oh, maybe nobody, or maybe not the right people, 
or you know what, maybe we're doing super well, we should be doing more of it. And we didn't realize it. I mean, yep. it, you know, and, and I think there's a there when you step all the way back, I think what organizations need to get really clear, it starts at the very top. And it starts with some very concise statements around what are our goals? What are we trying to achieve? And what role do these various tactics, RMNs being a big one of them, play in delivering those objectives? And then who and how are we going to get that done? Yep. How do we measure it? How frequently? And, and understanding, I mean, I was teasing about the Nielsen data, but it isn't, it isn't wrong. You know, over time, we've had gaps in data our whole lives. And it's like, well, well, what can we trust? What will we believe? What will we test? What are we willing to spend? And those are discussions that if that is clear with organizations, you can empower people to go and execute. But when that's unclear, and that's what I'm very, I'm concerned about is it's kind of like, you know, when Facebook came along or whatever, people ran around, we need a Facebook page. Yeah. Why? Why? Oh, because it's it's the new thing. I mean, all right. Who's our consumer? Is our consumer even engaging with this platform? Oh, well, I don't know. But our competitor has a Facebook page. Well, right. Do we have our own strategy? (laughs) Right. Well, the interesting thing about those conversations, though, is they can be contained within one larger area of, say, marketing and media. Right. And what's happening, I think, now with Retail Media Networks is it's part marketing, it's part commercial. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd love to know your thoughts on where should the leadership come from within the organization? Because it can't just be these conversations and strategies be sorted by the media team because there's such big commercial implications and probably vice versa. Is it right. a partnership between the CMO and the chief sales or commercial person? I mean, where does this start? Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The, the uniqueness here is the minute you get retailers involved in the situation, you're, you know, you're touching that sales line, right? So you're, you're absolute KPIs that pay the, pay the bills. Um, and so I do think at a senior level, level there has to be um, these colleagues that work together and are aligned on, you know, and it, I guess it makes sense. Your total business objectives should at a very senior level be, you know, united and hopefully you're incented on the same KPIs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a big um, problem for a lot of organizations where imagine where even the supply chain person's KPI is very different than the salesperson's KPI. And, and, and people think that's a healthy tension. And in some cases, probably there's some line items there that are. But in general, for all striving toward the same thing, I think we'll do what's right for the business overall. And we keep the consumer and retailer in mind. So yes, and I think at a very senior level, there has to be this, this alignment on where people want to invest in, you know, what channels are important to you, what customers are important to you, where you will and won't do things. But then when you get down to like really executing it, you know, these discussions are held at buyer, you know, right. desk and there or marketing folks within customers whose key contact tends to be the shopper marketing group. Right. You know, every brand and, you know, every brand manager can't have a relationship with every customer. Well, that's a, that, too- yeah, that, that's a great question. And you bring up the shopper marketing bit. I mean, it feels to me at times that um, there's been some nervousness of shopper marketers that, you know, gosh, all the shopper marketing money and resources are going to go to retail media networks. You know, what's my role? You know, how should I be looking at this? Um, when in fact, as you just described, 
there's probably a real opportunity for leadership from shopper marketing resources. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how do you see shopper marketing people, resources, that function, if you will, being impacted by this and what role should or could they be playing from a leadership perspective? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've said it to, you know, some friends of mine in the industry that have done this a long time in Shopper. It's probably uh, an opportune time for rebranding because I I think I think the the name sort of represents a little bit of the past. And you know, I think about when I first started and we did call it building brands with customers cuz that's what it pretty much is um or through customers. Um you know, we we began to establish relationships with marketing departments at customers that we that really didn't exist before. And we started with tactics that looked quite familiar to mm. what was probably happening in in sort of national um, spends and media. So, you know, if we were doing, you know, some Dove campaign for real beauty, we had like a Walmart aspect to Dove campaign for real beauty and what have you. And we'd have events or sampling and things like that over time you know, functions like consumer promotions and such basically evaporated and shopper marketers picked up couponing and, you know, contest sweepstakes games, things that, you know, when I was at craft, we had a dedicated consumer promotion group in every division and, and I kind of oversaw it, you know, across all the company. So those tactics became very shopper marketing related and everything tended to be through retailers versus just sort of the national and a very small group did the national things. I feel mm-hmm. like retail media is kind of headed in that same, and just because it has media in the title, hmm. I get it. It doesn't mean media people, you know, it used to be coupons. Oh, that's owned by consumer promotion. Well, no, it, it's the shopper marketing people mostly do that now. So, so this is kind of an easy, and it, and it is very different media than, you know, TV, radio, print, you know, out of home, whatever, that tends to be in sort of that classic agency media model. You know, most shopper marketing type agencies have begun to cut their teeth on the retail media networks and understand. And and you're you're literally negotiating with your your retailer about, hey, I have my dates, my rates, my trade spend, my displays, my my retail media investment. It's a holistic investment profile with, you know, I, I, and so I think what, what got us kind of in that space, you know, because yeah. otherwise you'll lose that negotiation power and requirements for performance. And and not only that, um, you know, the principles, I agree with you on the branding of shopper marketing, but some of the core principles about looking at category solutions, category growth, and then winning your brand inside the category and categories are something the retailers and the brands care about. But if you look at the evolution of retail media networks, it's more, you know, PDP, item page, item specific, programmatic. And those roots are carrying it forward to probably not allowing us to allowing shopper marketers to see the bigger opportunity of category and how it all fits, which is where I think it's a natural place. Like you said at the very beginning, it's a tactic, but it's a tactic at an item ish level or maybe a brand level. And here's an opportunity for this to evolve to get more holistically tied into the to the total program of what you're trying to accomplish through retailers. Right, right. Well, and I, you know, it's interesting because I do think during the pandemic, um, I witnessed just as a shopper, you know, some executions of things that seemed very categorical too, where brands yeah. took a lead, um, but there was a real consumer need for 
you know, certain items and categories and, and ways of, of thinking about using products that you might not have used in a certain way before. So I, I do think there's a dual, a role that these, you know, kind of certainly the networks could play across a portfolio with, you know, within a, a, a manufacturer or across a category within a retailer. Um, and, and that's not wildly foreign, certainly to sales folks or shopper marketing folks, but I, I do, you know, that kind of seat of energy is around that commercial execution. Hmm. Um, and you, you don't want to lose sight because it, it isn't, you know, and, and not to say that, you know, we'll call it top of funnel if you believe in funnels or whatever, yeah. or path to purchase, but not to say that, you know, there isn't a role you know, traditional media, retailer media can play in that sort of top of funnel piece, but there's always that quid pro quo. I'm spending with you as a channel, as retailers or whatever, because I understand how people shop my category, my brand, and I need to engage at this piece of the journey. And that's what you're going to help me do. And at the end of it, I need to recognize some sales growth. Um, Absolutely. You know, with you, not, you know, without you. Yeah, 100%. If we go back to some of the early parts of this conversation, we talk, started with the senior leaders and, and what they may need to know about retail media networks. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, fog, if you put it mildly, yeah. and because of the change in rapid behavior of how this is all evolving, uh, you do get to speak to a lot of senior leaders. Uh, what, what were some things that you... Uh, think they should know that they may be holding is like, well, that's really not the way it is. Uh, you know, what are some things that they should understand about the current reality that they may not understand? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's a lot to be said for a bit of a step back um, mm -hmm. with an organization to say, are we prepared? Meaning, do we have the right talent skill sets within our organization to leverage um, this activity that's that's different than it was before. So, you know, again, I go back to, you know, folks who've been doing this for a really long time and aren't really familiar um, with kind of how things work. You know, do we do we have enough people in the organization to A, teach them? Can we upscale people? Um, I think a lot of times people, <laughs> some big organizations like to throw a reorg at something yep. new. Right. Um, and boy, we're just going to get new things faster and faster and reorganizing is so painful, you know, so are there ways to create more fluid roles in organizations? Um, maybe you outsource some stuff because that's a lot easier to change than insourcing it. So thinking about how to get the work done in different ways, I think senior leaders have to, to think about, um, they have to realize that measurement is, is a, still a huge challenge. So you, you can't, you don't want to be like sixth to the party. You have to kind of play the game, particularly with important customers mm -hmm. to you, but you don't have to spend zillions to do it because be careful because that next year, they're going to want to repeat that in anniversary, that, that yeah, investment. That's so great. Well, there's a couple of, yeah, a couple of really good nuggets in there to pull out. I think one is that, um, you know, you can't just benchmark, a lot of senior leaders just benchmark what's going on with Amazon and apply yeah. that model across. And, you know, Amazon is Amazon and it's yeah. different. And it's so very different than Omni. You know, yeah. Sure. Then Omni. And I think you got to first understand that Omni and Amazon are two different things. 
and not try to compare and, and drive those comparisons across because it'll lead you down some, some interesting roads. I think the other thing to know is that uh, we're still in very early stages. I mean, the, the retailers are spending and moving as fast as they can to build capabilities, and it's not going to be fully uh, functioning with all the metrics and things that you need and would want. But that, so we're in an evolutionary state. I, I think if you were to look at today as the fixed endpoint, you would probably be making a lot of different decisions than saying, well, wait a minute, where's this going over the next year or two as they rapidly develop? And do I want to be part of that conversation and, and involved in it? So that that's the other thing. And I guess the last point I think that's really interesting is that a lot of people compare, you know, what they're getting in metrics and data performance with a world that is probably not going to look the same in 2004 with cookie-less and so you're comparing it against, you know, a space of right. what I can get with cookies and that level of performance data that's not going to be there in right. 2004 at some point. Well, yeah. I mean, compare yourself if you have European businesses, um, you know, it's a very different world with GDPR and, and those sorts of things that have come. So, you know, I that's think right. in, in the U.S., we, you know, um, we're lucky a number of the clients I work with have businesses around the world so they can kind of compare notes. Um, and we've we've had a little bit more free reign in some ways. And yes, that's going to change. And, and at the same time, you make the comment, which is so true, these these networks coming out of even some of our biggest retailers, you know, Walmart, Target, mm -hmm. whatever, they're still in very early stages compared to where, you know, an Amazon is today. And, and they're just, a, now that's not to say, understand how Amazon works. I mean, I would right. tell senior leaders, like, understand it because there's certainly a relationship and it will be different, but there's some truths like having great product detail pages and things like that yeah. is important everywhere, you know? So um, I do think that, you know, you're right. And it's, and it's not, it's uncomfortable when things change or move at speeds, you know, that, and, and there are things we don't understand and whatever, you know, but, you know, we've been doing this a long time. That's yeah. been, that's a constant. Like, yeah, you know, no, hundred percent. Don't pull in, like, you know. And one thing I think you said earlier that I think is so important is not to look at it as a reorg opportunity. You may need to reorg, um, yeah. you know, always refresh and think about that, but to do it in a time that's not, there's still some uncertainty about, you know, how things evolve. I mean, what, what happens when the omni-channel retailers are really able to tie into their in-store environments, which they don't really today as much, but I think that there's innovation that's going to yeah. happen there eventually yeah, to get exactly. the foot traffic, right? And, and then now we're back to more of a commercial conversation. And right. so, right. so I think- and it feels like if you let it organically play out a little bit, I mean, I, I just think of when we started with the, the newer shopper marketing organization at Unilever when I was there and we, yep. we really like staffed up big time. Yep. And about a year later, I said, you know, I was running, I'm like, you know what, this model isn't the right model. We need mm -hmm. less, what we need is people inside to just understand shopper marketing. I don't need shopper marketing marketers. I need right. marketers, again, it's a tactic. But I do need people facing customers and being able to be that one point of contact across 400 brands <laughs> to Walmart, to, you know, Target, to whoever. And, and we were relaxed about it. We're like, this is what we're going to try. And when we know something better, you know, we will go and do that. And, and the organization needs to know we're, we're being flexible and fluid. Um, well, that, I that's, do think, yeah. yeah, it's going to keep changing. And I think that's the advantage of the shopper marketing journey evolving 
at a light, slightly slower pace than what we're seeing here. Uh, because yeah. you have time to think through things and work through things. And, and, you know, we discovered things like, you know what, it's probably good in a brand manager's career path to take, you know, a year or two in a customer team, right? Or into yeah. a shopper marketing yeah. role. It just builds that. And, and those awarenesses evolved. Uh, we're here, we're in a disruption space that's happening so fast. Yes. A lot of those learnings haven't had a, a chance to percolate, uh, which I think is making people a bit crazy. Yeah. No, 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 it's true. And I, you know, I do think, um, you know, do rely on your agency partners um, to some degree, sometimes just to do the work to get through the day, but also because they work across um, a number of clients and platforms, they can bring you, I think, some good thinking um, that they do day in, day out, and you typically have people that do it a part of the day kind yeah. of thing, you know? Um, yeah. so I, so I think, I think that's important, but you know, until we get, and it's going to take a long time, um, to really consistent metrics and such, um, you know, it is, it can be the wild, wild west. Yeah. And, and there's probably one thing that, uh, you said around, uh, anniversarying that word there, but I, I think if I was in a senior team, uh, or in a senior role at a CPG, I would be collecting my red lines that I want to be really careful about setting precedent on. Because, yeah. you know, if you make the decision that you want this conversation to be highly integrated into your JBP and see it as a trade transaction, that's very different than saying we want the incremental spends to come from a media budget. And Correct. do you want that to be something you endeavor to spend or get committed to spend? Because right. those are two different approaches. Yeah. And you can get locked in really quickly. Yeah, no. And, and that's why I think in, in, in kind of two layers, one is, um, you know, thinking about spend holistically and not being so black and white and like, this is for this and that's for that. Like, Hey, here's what we want to invest. We want to try a little bit more on this, this year. And if that doesn't work out then next year, you know, we right. may double it back or whatever. But then this is where Andy, as we talked about, mm -hmm. the big question is, who owns, you know, the budget right. when it has a name media in it, or is it above or below the line? Um, how do you account for it? Um, well, Kelly, and, yeah. I, I mean, I've been in several share groups as well. I haven't found anybody that has that sorted out yet. And maybe you no. have, but it's, it's, the, well, it's the question of the hour. Well, and here's what I will say, and, and I think anyone who's outside of the marketing function, and I've never been a traditional marketer, will hate that I'm saying this, but you know, when it, it, when people say who owns the money, I'm like, where's the P and L sit. Hmm. And at the end of the day, if you have brand level P and L's category level P and L's, or just a company level P and L, it tends to be a marketer that owns it. Mm -hmm. So they will always own it. Your job as a supporting function and a collaborative group of people is when you go knocking on the door for dollars, you better make darn sure that they are in service to the brand objective and KPIs. And in your best knowledge, because it doesn't always work out, that investment is going to be put in a place to deliver against that. And when you work with that spirit and it's really clear for people, um, it doesn't really matter who owns it because you all own it. A hundred percent. And I, I think maybe you and I were in the same meeting when, when I heard this thought that alignment is far more important than ownership. 
clarity or accountability. Yeah. Because yeah. even if you've got clear accountability, but you don't have alignment across the core teams, you're in just as bad shape as, as, as not having any accountability at all, because you can't, you can't execute that uh, in a joined up way if you don't have alignment. Right. No, I agree. And, and I would tell you, that's the, you know, you know, forget all the topics we've just talked about. That's the biggest problem I've found almost anywhere I work when there's lack of clarity and which drives misalignment often because people aren't being really transparent about or super, you know, I can't make it clearer than this. You know, all bets are off. Like <laughs> People are off doing their functional and I, I don't, most of it's not in, intentional or they're, they're trying to like kill the business. It's just lack of clarity. People, it's, it's amazing. People just go off and do their own thing and have their own agenda. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. And then one more thing I wanted to talk about, which is I think this area of the gap between the senior, senior leadership and perhaps people that are hands on keyboard in terms of doing it every day. And, you know, one thing that I would recommend is that you try to pull together use cases, case studies of what actually you're doing uh, if you're on, on the more SME and in the trenches day to day. But you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, because I, I think the yeah. best way to learn from a senior manager perspective is to, OK, so we started here. This is what we did. This is what happened. And this is what we learned. Right. And having right. fast learn, fast deploy, you know, kind of mindset, because it's so hard to talk about this in, a, in an abstract way without well, being able to pull up and see, oh, OK, this is what happened here. And Target did it. You did this execution at Target and it was very different results. Why is that? Oh, because there's differences right. in algorithms. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. Right. Well, yeah. And I mean, if if you'll indulge me, I have thought of two really important thoughts yeah. on that. So, so, so one is actually when we, you know, starting shopper marketing at Unilever and taking money from trade and brands to fund it. And they, the whole, like, what am I getting for my money? You know, story. Yeah. And what happened was we got very disciplined once a quarter going back to our partners and saying, so, here was our strategy, remember, for the year with these customers, whatever. Here's what we ran. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. Here's what we're going to do again. Here's what we're never going to do again. Here's what. Yeah. And it became like, first of all, okay, oh, great. You're going to show us. And we ended up over time, people didn't come to the meetings anymore because they trusted us. Fine. But I said to my team, we're never going to stop these meetings ever, ever because we're going to constantly report on what we're doing and what we're getting and people will, and, and ultimately we became a very trusted organization, yeah. but the case studies you talk about, the real yeah. examples of what we're doing, what we're getting and the honesty about what's working and what isn't working. Very, very, very important. The, uh, the other thing I just wanted to bring up, we talk about the senior leaders and, and honestly, the onus is on them because the yeah. more junior hands-on people aren't going to go like, hey, CEO or CMO or whatever, you want to hear what I'm doing today? It's never going to happen. I'll tell you, Phillips, it was so refreshing. Our CEO would come out to market visits and we do, you know, what's happening in store. And I was new to the organization and he said to me, why don't we have an online in-store visit? And I'm like, what do you mean an on-store? And he goes, mm. I need to know how it works. So he said, the next time I come, so we created an on-store shopping, in-store online shopping experience. It was Amazon related, huge customer for Philips. And we started with 
we have a mom who's 35 years old who's looking for a book and we explained search to him and what happened what came up and we went through the you know motion and he was amazing and so great and and like asked all the questions in a safe spot where i don't he's the ceo he's not dumb he's smarter yeah. than i am but he doesn't know this that like i don't expect him to understand the r d stuff the way the r d people do and so you have to be constantly curious and inquisitive and ask and don't be afraid because guess what there's nothing better when the 25 year old goes i know something i shared with the ceo everyone oh, yeah. wins yeah 100 percent. and and i do i think sometimes folks are they don't want to admit i i don't know this I, I i agree with you and i love this question that you said i need to know how this works and you know show me how this really works and i think that's probably one question that senior leaders should be asking of the 25-year-old SMEs, whatever age they are, you know, on the front lines of this, because I learn something new every day, it seems like, about, you know, what what can be done in the Amazon marketing cloud? You know, what what is that thing and how is that different? You know, and those, the people that know that stuff are either at the agency or they're really deep into it. And it's so, it's so refreshing to hear it, but you've got to really proactively go out and look at well, what's really happening. Well, and you end, what happens is you build like a coalition of the willing. And then over time, when something bubbles up to a high level decision maker, who's, you know, why are we spending? He's like, I'll tell you why we're spending it on this, because I know that on the journey, you know, and there they are defending you and they can. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm enlightened by that because I always feel I'm a life learner and you know, there, it changes all, all the time. It's hard to stay on top of it, but you have to make a point of it. We had a discussion with the, mm. some of my agency colleagues yesterday, just on this reverse mentoring idea. And everyone goes, oh yeah, you know, they do the PG. Oh yeah. We, you know, I said, you know, but you know what happens? The appointments get canceled. It gets mm. set up all the time and the CEO runs out of time and, oh, you know, what gets canceled? Reverse mentoring, learning, and yep. that shouldn't be canceled. No, <laughs> like that, not at all. that needs to happen or finding ways, you know, to do it that aren't always self-serve, just set some time aside, but really have experts. And I was blessed. I have had teams that were so skilled in these spaces and taught me more than I could ever teach them ever. And they know yeah. who they are. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. One of the things I found helpful when I was trying to bring some change to ask in a retail environment was grabbing uh, a more junior finance person uh, and taking them on that journey with me and saying, you know what, some of these things we don't know how to measure. Uh, mm. You know, help us help us figure this out because what what everyone knows is eventually it's going to end up. Can we? Are we going to finance this? What's the business case? And if finance is the last to engage, uh, and they're not educated along the journey of how this works, you're going to have a real challenge with the CFO. And I think you know. Bringing in more junior, you know, finance folks that can partner with the shopper marketers or the media people yeah. is such an unlock for yeah. helping build no, the I case. Love I love that because I would tell you, <laughs> in particular when I was at Unilever, the the finance people were my lifeline. Yeah, and you know, they really, if you can partner with them, because honestly, they know how the innards work. That's right. Um, of the organization and they can say, you know what, what if we did that this way or thought about it? I'm like, wow. Um, I think that's a great call out. Well, um, especially with the, the KPIs where they are, because I don't think they've matured enough to know what affects what. And so I would right. get marketing dashboards that was looking at brand saliency and 
cut through and then all these other factors with it. And, you know, one metric, if you really dialed into that as a siloed group, you could drive it hard. Uh, but then all yeah. of a sudden other things bad would start to happen because you were fixated <laughs> on that KPI. And yeah. ROAS is a good example, right? I mean, you can juice ROAS by just you know, by branded keywords and such, but that doesn't mean you're going to grow your business. Right. People are like, well, why aren't we selling more? You know, and, you know, I and people can manipulate data. Of course, you can. Yep. We can come up with any story you, you want to tell. Um, and so that's why it takes a village. It takes real alignment, I think, cross-functionally for people to understand all these nuances. And I, and I will say, you know, despite the fact I spent most of my career sort of on the sales side and with customers, um, most of my partners in crime that were not on that same playing field with me on the, with the customers understood the impact if things didn't go well with customers. And cause that's, you know, the rubber does meet the road there and we're willing to be creative and find ways to, to really think through, try things, experiment, you know, um, and, and that's what it takes. This is a space that you really do need to partner up. Don't try and be like, I'm just going to do this over here and I'll keep you posted on what happens. No. Um, I, I, that's a big mistake because I think, you, you know, over time, it's just going to be, it's, it's the, when you said, what are people talking about? It's all people are talking about. Yeah. And, and I think, think there's a barrel isn't good. You know? Yeah. And I think the, the companies that are starting to, I think, take a more strategic approach than taking a reactive or isolating pieces off or whatever, you know, a reactive approach are starting to step back and say, okay, you know, we need a strategic approach here on how we're going to transition to this space and what does it mean? You know, how are we going to segment customers to where we invest and where to play and where to win, right? How are we yeah, going to assess? I that up that was, that's on my mind is when you strategically, it isn't just like, oh, we want to grow 10% as a total company or whatever. It's like, but where and, right. and how? And that's, it, if you don't have a solid customer segmentation strategy, that's a miss. That's right, 100%. And I, and I think you need that. There's 44 retail media networks active in the U.S. alone. Uh, some studies said there's 600 of them out there. I don't know. But, I mean, you cannot invest the same across 44 networks. You just can't master the complexity. There's no way. What kind yeah. of customer data strategy do you have? Do you need to buy insights from every single retail media network? Is that going to be accretive and new? Are you going to get new learnings or are you going to start right. duplicating? And, and so I do think it's like, Look, you may not be in a great place today, but at least get a plan, right? And get a plan that looks out to the future. Well, and I think it it helps in discussions with the retailers too, because you go, here's what we're about. And if they're not meeting some sort of standard that's in your vision, maybe they'll strive for it. You say, listen, mm -hmm. we can't invest without X, Y, Z. And they're like, well, we don't do that. And you're like, well, that's why I can't, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. maybe could we try X or could we, you know, and that, um, I think it's, it gives you a foundation to stand on and be unified as one voice back to the retailer as a man, you know, as a manufacturer, because look at what's happened. We've become buyers. Yeah. hundred percent. Not <laughs> Well, and, and you know, I often don't put my defend the retailer hat on as often as I probably should, but coming from that in the most recent <laughs> corporate world, uh, think about it from a retailer's perspective, how many different brands are coming with different expectations because Very there's true. no, there's no standards on that front either. And so you're just right. like there's, you're right. you know, every retailer is different right. in 
so's every brand. And I, you know, I think you if we, all can't have the Christmas ad and you all can't have, you know, right. or whatever. You know? Right. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, and they, they, I hope in the same way, they have a bit of a segmentation strategy too, sure. like that we're going to grow these categories and these players are going to be instrumental in that. Yep. And that's where we're going to, you know, and so yep. that's where obviously, you know, JVP and all that, and we all can't be all things to everybody, but, you know, I think there's enough room out there between yes. retailers, brands, platforms, whatever, that everybody can come up with a compelling enough strategy that can work. Excellent. Well, we've covered a lot of ground uh, for what, <laughs> this very complex and broad topic. Is there anything else before we wrap up that you would want to maybe communicate to senior leaders that are you know, responsible for these spaces uh, at, at bigger CPG companies or midsize? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've probably articulated it already, but I, I would say you've got to dig in um, and, and learn this yourselves because, and, and again, not hands-on keyboard, maybe sit next to somebody hands-on keyboard. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it isn't, you know, months and months. It's, it's you know, take a couple days for a couple months and, and, you know, dig in, especially as you're writing your strategic plan over the next year and three to five years. And when there's a section in it, no doubt about digital investment or investment, ask questions and you don't have to preface it, but if it makes you feel better, preface it to I don't know this well, speak to me in common language yep. that I can understand. Um, because that's the worst when people kind of use and you're like, wait, blah, 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 step back. But but I, I do think there, you know, I do think a lot lies with the senior leaders. And then I'd say, again, because I can't say it enough, um, having, and, and you have it too, Andy, kids working in this space, as senior leaders, teach them the fundamentals yep. and how the business should work so that they can make the connection of what their hands-on keyboard does to driving the overall business results. Yeah, well said. And, and not only the business results, but make sure they understand what are brand objectives, you know, <laughs> marketing objectives. It, it exactly. Is, right. They don't, they don't come in learn. And I, I mean, I think we lost two good years in the pandemic to really mentor people in this space and yes. teach them. And and you know, you talk about, you know, um, you know, when when I first started, marketers would come out and work for six to eight weeks, live in the field and work with salespeople to do resets and yep. understand how to read a planogram and go to store and call on. And, and then people were like, oh, that's a waste of money. You know, we don't need to do that anymore. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't happen. I think it was the best use of, oh, of sure. money and time of, of those people back then. And there's, and honestly, many of them are my friends and are CEOs of companies and do wonderful jobs because they had that time. Yep. And, you know, same thing. I had to go to headquarters as a salesperson and learn sales planning and work with right. marketing teams so that I could grow in my career. And yep. I think we're, we, that's, that's a gap. So if you can, if you get time to have someone teach you, you and you can teach them something, um, we're all going to win. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And I'd say maybe get involved in some industry share groups where you could talk to your peers yep. and learn, because I think you'll find uh, some enlightenment there that we're all, everyone's pretty much in the same spot today. 
Um, it makes I mean, misery loves company. I mean, it makes. It, <laughs> I didn't want to say it that way, but yes. I'm teasing, but no. I mean, I think when you can talk about it and be like, "Oh my god, I thought that was just us," or I thought, right, and and without divulging anything, yep. you know, certainly you're going to be careful about that. But you know, there are things like I didn't think of that, and you know, right. we get the chance to do it, you know, working where I work and and where you work. But when you're working in a company and you're not in a share group, you don't have a lot of opportunities. So so that is no. a really good. And, and read everything you can and, and you know, um, that comes along and join some of those um, lovely emails yeah. that come out and teach you new things. Well, and Kelly, if uh, anybody wants to reach out to you and get a hold of you, we can put some your links, obviously, in the, in the notes. But uh, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, I think just an email is great if you want to send, um, you know, share that. Um, I'm pretty receptive to email. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so happy to chat further. This was really fun, Andy. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it's always a pleasure to get a, a deep conversation with a fellow journeyer uh, in the shopper marketing commercial space. And so uh, lovely to see you again today. And uh, yeah. let's keep the conversations going. Yes, please. That's it for this episode of It's a Customer's World. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends, and I'd be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's a Customer's World podcast is a product of the University of Arkansas's Customer-Centric Leadership Initiative and a Wilton College original production. 